0: fundamentally it's not about winning it's about improving and that's what I mean by performance so for me again again it's it's the one percent if I can improve myself a little bit if I can help improving other people or teams or businesses it's about increasing your performance it's not about being the best so again it's continuous learning and you know this better than anyone how do you keep learning how do you keep improving? Because that will have a knock on effect for your
1: performance. Welcome to the Unlearn podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by James William, a marketing executive with a global reach, who spent his time both in agencies and at Coca-Cola, leading numerous campaigns for the Olympics over his stellar career there, before now facing some new challenges in the business and startup world. Now, James has had a fascinating career. He's actually worked on four different Olympics, culminating in the Tokyo Games in 2022, where he helped lead one of the most commercially successful, but also sustainable versions of the Games with Coca-Cola. We've met each other through Nobody Studios, where he's an active member of our advisory group and an early investor. He also teaches in Nice as a guest lecturer for MBA programs and provides many support to lots of startups and businesses looking for go-to-market strategies, growth, and customer experiences. On this show, he shares a little bit about how he's made these transitions, faced uncertainty, tackled them by having clarity of where he wanted to focus thinking about people, purpose, partnerships, and high performance. So before we hear about all those steps, let's hear a little bit about how it got started for James.
0: A lot of it stems from kind of the environment that I was brought up in. So hypercritical kind of family environment, early years, two elder brothers, very successful. And in that phase kind of then was told that I had a learning disability, which turned out to be dyslexia. So it kind of created an environment which I just didn't fit into and I think that was one of the things that you didn't re- I didn't realize at the time because I hated it but it drove that kind of grit and perseverance to just keep going i just you know it became down to everything was about results it was about individuals it was about results it was about how we do that And then I think as I kind of got older and I started my career ending university and then going into marketing agencies, I really started to understand the concept of how do you do this together as a we. That was like, oh, actually, if I work with a bunch of people, there are certain things I'm not very good at. And there are some things I'm very good at. And if I can build those balances, then it doesn't mean as I'm constantly trying to hide that I I can't spell or (laughs) things like that. So. I think that was initially really where I started to go, actually, this is where it is. And then from a marketing agency where I was there for nine years, we started at kind of 15 in the London office and then got to 250. We were knocking things out of the park and then kind of got to a pinnacle there and went, hey, you know what? I think I'm done. I want to go and do this. I want to try and push myself into another area. And that's how after a couple of times we ended up working at Coke and they gave me a call and they said, hey, come and do this. And that was then when I was moving from we to I, <laughs> and because in a corporate environment, it's very different. And that's the point where we got into that before we started into the Coke piece. But I think all of those pieces really impacted the way that I, I focused and I viewed things.
1: Well, first of all, um, I'm dyslexic too, so it's always great to have more people that can't spell on the show. So power to us getting through those hurdles. It's always funny as well when I, when I hear people share that, like the strategies you have to develop, like to operate in a realm where like written language is so important, right? Like I often joke, I had a solid history of D pluses in English literature, and I didn't really know why until oh, eventually I found out actually I couldn't spell. So that was great, but I was good at drawing pictures. So it, it's, it's uh, you know, it's fun to hear your, sort of your own journey with that. And as well as the evolution, though, as you say, is yourself, right? Like working in teams, building your own personal brand over time, being very successful at that, obviously, but recognizing teams are things that help you grow even further, right? And scale your impact. So for someone like yourself, I also love this idea of like pushing yourself in a domain where you sort of feel like you've hit the critical mass or whatever you're going to learn from it. That resonates a lot with me both. I feel like when I was working as an independent advisor, you know, I felt like I sort of cracked the code a bit or whatever. I'd got it as much as I was going to get out of that. And that really was one of the triggers to encourage me to go back and, and work in nobody in not just a startup, but a startup of startups, right? That was a real trigger for me because I, I was essentially getting bored, to be honest. I felt like I was dealing with the same problems different day and I needed a new uncomfortable challenge. And I know that that's a mindset you have too as well. So tell us a little bit about some of those things you had to unlearn yourself on that journey. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who like dedicate themselves to a domain, a profession, a business, and you know, everyone wants to do the best they can on the assignment that they have at the time. So What were some of the things that you sort of learned about yourself as you went on on those paths? I think a lot of it is really understanding or giving
0: yourself permission because all of your life, we're kind of driven to succeed and do better and do better. And therefore, you get to a level of comfort, e.g., I can do this. And we all know this. There'll be certain things that someone says, hey, can you do this? Can you write this? Or can you create a presentation? Can you do a launch strategy or whatever? And you could knock it out like that. And I think what it is, is you've got to get to a point where you're like, actually it's okay for me to not be good at something and that was the bit that I had to really kind of unlearn is that success isn't always just linear it has to kind of be more of an evolutionary kind of circle or cycle and you've got to be okay with that and I think for me it was definitely that was the fear because obviously the dyslexia knocks your confidence when you're a kid so right you've on. got to go oh, you just need to keep going up that's that's all I learned was you keep going upwards and then i think it was definitely in brazil probably when i first went to brazil and you suddenly you're in a completely different culture and like okay okay i thought i knew how to do this and actually i don't and actually that's okay so how do i push myself into a place where i'm okay with being uncomfortable and it's not driving me nuts because there was definitely times throughout my career where i'm like oh my god what, why did i do this why am i banging my head against the brick wall And I think that's where it is for me was that's the only way you're going to improve.
1: Yeah, no, it's great, you know, mindset and philosophy to have, right? Like, as you say, it's very easy to fall into the trap of of success. Like you say, you get good at things, you especially, right? You're a leading marketer, you know how to do go to markets, you probably do them in your sleep. And I know you help loads of startups doing that now as well at the moment, but, you know, it's just a natural almost reflex for you or someone like that. And as you say, it's comfortable. You can get it done. You know the quality's there. You know, I think I would sense too in you as well. At some point, you're like, okay, I know how to do this trick, and it's time to stretch myself again and do do something different. So, how do you start that? Like, what are some of the examples? Maybe you can think of like when you started to take some of these uncomfortable steps. Like, what what helps you know that you're reaching your, I don't know, your local maximum, if you will, and then you're starting to think, how do I? start taking on some more uncomfortableness because there's a lot of fear people face in that and i know a lot of folks who listen to the show they constantly are asking questions like i'd love to take a risk i'd love to but there's an inhibitor there so what are some of the things that help you get started so the way that i always found that i was getting to as you say you call it the
0: critical mass is i was always a great one for feedback so I've always, I used to do this religiously when I would go into a country, build a new team. At the beginning, I would take a load of feedback. Are you doing this right? Are you doing that wrong? And that would evolve. So over my career, there was loads of moments of feedback. And each time you'd have these cluster of things you needed to get better at. And it was like, okay, great. I've nailed this one. Okay, good. I've nailed this one. And then I suppose when I look at something like when I was in Tokyo and ended up leading the games for Coca-Cola, and if you think Coke had spent you know, the best part of a 100 years sponsoring the Olympics. And Tokyo was the first one where I managed to orchestrate the most successful commercial returns, marketing impact, and most fundamentally, the D&I piece. And that was me where it was kind of like, now I'm on the top of the wave, great. Now, to a point, there's a level of, sure, I'm going to jump off now because look at what I've done and surely this is going to be the next step going to be easy. And I think that's the bit where you're like, oh, yeah, this will work itself out and what it is. So the way that I did it after leaving Coke, and let's be clear, coming back to the UK after 10 years, leaving a very nice, great corporate career was definitely nerve wracking. But for me, it was I needed to set myself guardrails. So I developed this kind of thing where it's like, OK, what, what's going to govern my choices about where I'm trying to get to? So I set out this four little things. It was like, it was, when, what was I passionate about? And it was all about purpose, it's about people, it's about performance, and it's about partnership. So every time I look at something, whether it's investments, whether it's advisory stuff, in some way, some of the teaching I'm doing, teaching a master's down in Nice, each one had to try and fix that box. And, you know, even teaching a master's, I mean, wow. I thought that was gonna be <laughs> easy. And actually, you suddenly realise you in a very different environment with a bunch of smart, young people who are challenging you on everything. And I think as long as you have the guardrails of like, this is where I'm going, and I'm comfortable to step into that, knowing I'm going to be uncomfortable, then I think that helps you take the leap a little bit. It's not just like a leap of faith. You're doing it with some kind of structure. <laughs> That's probably how I sell it to myself anyway.
1: Yeah, no, no, it, it's a great way to think about it, right? Like this is one of the things people really struggle with. And and I hear people because they ask a lot, right? Just listen to you talk even about a framework about how you're making decisions about where you're going to invest your time and your energy. That's a, a, I feel like a really important sort of rubric, if you will, is for people to make, because you often will hear the, oh, I'd love to do something different. And then you sort of ask yourself, well, how are you going to make a decision what that different thing is? How will you know it's where you want to spend your time, where you want to essentially uh, you know, make the investment, make the bet, whatever, take the risk around? So it's, it's great to hear that you sort of built this sort of framework for yourself about you know, what matters to you, the purpose, people you work with, performance and partnership. So tell me why you picked those four things in particular, because they feel like, obviously they rhyme and you're definitely a marketer. I know you just can't help yourself with that, that. but... But t- tell us tell us a little bit about like, why did you pick those four? And maybe even an example, like how, what helped you? You know, you've mentioned teaching this master's in NEATS. I know you like, obviously, is a bit more closer to home for me. But some of the other like ventures that you're looking at, like, how do you sit down when the phone calls come in and you go, OK, well, what's going to make me decide if I'm going to do this?
0: Yeah. And it did happen that it happened to be four piece but i think when i look at it and i look at purpose and actually purpose is a good one when we talk about the studio so for me purpose is important whether it's individual whether it's as a team or, or whether it's as society we need to have that drive that gives us that goal one of the things i loved about nobodies which is why it was a bit of a no-brainer for me was just like how fundamentally that is driven into everything that the studio does in the investments in startups, and all that so that was great. And that's the same for other things. Yeah, part of it is a lot of learning. I, I got involved in a startup, which was all about trying to prevent abuse in sport. It didn't work. I invested a lot of time and effort and money. It just didn't work at the end. And you've got to get to that point and go, you know what, I need to walk away because it's just not right for me. It's just not the right thing. The other one is then people. And I'm, I'm a great believer that you have to kind of inspire, engage and support people to be the best that they can be of themselves as you get older, is back, paying back. I've been lucky in my career. Few, I've had some great bosses. i had some not-so-great bosses as well. Yeah. <laughs> but all of that teaches me to know what I can pass on. And the, the teaching, so I do that with the masters. So I'm teaching that down in France. And that allows me to give back because it's helping. And I do this with mentoring and stuff like that because that's important
1: to me. That resonates too. I, I do something similar. I teach a two-day master's program I teach one modules two days at my university in Dublin and man it's one of the most rewarding things I do every year like you say students there's there's challenging a group as you're ever going to meet but it definitely feels like you know you're at least sharing helping and I you know I get smarter because they often tell me loads of stuff that I didn't know about as well so that resonates massively too as well.
0: It's inspiring I come away and because there's always these you know you the media yeah, it's like the next generation there. some millennials out and Gen Z this and all this. And it's actually when you were in there and I'm like, wow, you guys are smart. Like I've seen some stuff and luckily through my links with Coke and and the Olympic world and stuff like that, we've I've managed to connect those to do projects for them. And these guys are senior in these, these businesses and come back going, man, that presentation was off the chart. And I'm like, yeah, I know these guys are good. So. It is good. And I feel I do feel it's like you're inspired by these people. And it's like, man, yeah, I want to help you to be better because this is the next generation.
1: So tell us about performance then. What does that mean for you? Because it sounds like you've grown up even in a family where there was a performance culture right through to obviously Coca-Cola is one of the largest performance companies on the planet. So tell us a little bit about what that means for you, though. And it was interesting because I had to adjust my thinking in this. So when you talk about
0: unlearning... So what does success look like is the thing you have to change. I had to unlearn. Success wasn't being first. And I think one of the best analogies, and I think it came from the Olympics when I was working, I think in Brazil and it was Usain Bolt. I can't remember that. I think it was Tyson Gay or someone like that. Anyway, the, after the race, media guy asked him, so how do you feel to come second? You know, it must be a real problem running against Usain Bolt. And the guy turns around and he goes, what do you mean? I just ran my personal best. And I was like, ooh, fundamentally, it's not about winning. It's about improving. And that's what I mean by performance. So for me, again, again, it's, it's the 1%. If I can improve myself a little bit, if I can help improving other people or teams or businesses, it's about increasing your performance. It's not about being the best. So again, it's continuous learning. And you know this better than anyone. How do you keep learning? How do you keep improving?
1: Because that will have a knock-on effect for your performance. It's such a great anecdote. It's so relative. It's all about just getting better. So that example you say, that athlete saying, no, I, I did the best performance of my life. You know, sure, I didn't mind the one, but I, it's the best. You know, I always see that as well. You know, sometimes, especially with targets and startups or businesses or whatever, where you're set a goal and you get to like the goals to hit that 50% increase and you get to 48, like. Did the person fail? Well, no, they did amazing. They, neared, they they It stretched them in a way that they improved, you know? And I see that's a classic sort of way that people can fall into some of those traps. So it's nice to hear you think a bit like that. Before we dive into partnerships, what are some of the things you've you've sort of like little goals you've set yourself now, right? Like you're essentially an independent entrepreneur now, like helping businesses all over the world. So and you've sort of gone, as you say, you've transitioned from agency to corporate now to sort of solopreneur. You know, what were the North Stars you set yourself in terms of areas that you wanted to try and focus on?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I, after a while, I did start to set myself goals at the beginning of the year. And I would always kind of go, what are my personal things? So what are the personal things that I want to achieve? What am I trying to get to? What are the things in in a business, work, point of view, what do I try to get to? And each time I would then sit down and look at those and see how am I doing whether that was even so you know I've lived in two different countries trying to strive to learn the different languages and trying to get to a point when you can operate which you suddenly realize when you're trying to learn Japanese just it's not gonna happen
1: it's not gonna happen in two weeks yeah exactly yeah
0: it's a jewellery go I'd love but no way there is no way I'm getting this language in, in two weeks so so I think it was always, for me, how do I find those areas that I wanted to improve? And again, it was the feedback. It was that constant loop of me kind of going, okay, I want to improve this, whether it was even my physical thing. And it, actually, I was just away with some friends. And a friend of mine was like, hang on a second. You've got a track it even in my personal fitness and health. You've got a tracker for this. You've got a tracker for this. You've got a track it for that. Why is that? And I was going, because it's going to tell me those one little things that I'm doing wrong. And yes, I might be coming a little obsessed with this, which my wife always says. I think I think you need to get rid of one. Yeah. <laughs> it does affect your performance. I've got the big on this sleep thing at the moment, so I think it's always how do you see those goals? What's the short term? What do I want to achieve this year? What do I achieve in five years? And what do I achieve in ten years? And I think that's what keeps me. That's what keeps me going. What are the things that I want to enjoy doing? The time I want to spend with friends and family. What's going to allow me to do those things and enjoy what I do? And in Japan, I came across a thing called Ikigai, which is yeah, this great. whole... Thing. You know it? Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, but share it to people who don't know it on the show. Yeah, just explain it. It's a great concept.
0: It is a great concept to find, you know, what do you love doing? How do you make this something that is something you really enjoy doing? You can earn money for it. You can spend time to do it. And it's like a purposeful way to do it, that ultimately you're doing this so you can do the things you love doing in a way that you're doing it with people you love doing it with. So that started to really cement like, okay, that makes it easier. I'm not just on this treadmill of just going round, and round, and round, round, or the hamster wheel of just why am I here? Why am I doing this? Do so you have a choice? I can choose to do in this direction. And again, that's why it came down to the four Ps is like, if I don't have this, I'm just going to be fishtailing all over the place and and interestingly when i left coats i left in 22 last year was the first year i didn't write goals because i didn't know what the year was going to go so i didn't want to put myself in too much of a risk now it's probably fair to say that last year i fishtailed all over (laughs) all over the place but it it was good because it gave me that opportunity to learn to be curious to see where things would go and now this year I'm back onto goals because I've got a bit more direction.
1: You know, it's funny you mentioned that too. One of the other podcasts I listened to over the holiday period was where Jeff Bezos was on with Lex Friedman. And it's one of the first podcasts he's ever done. But one of the things that he actually spent a lot of time talking about was this idea of wandering in a way like in a very important part of figuring out what your next steps are is actually just immersing yourself in the soup a little bit sometimes and actually making space that you can sort of just explore and be curious in a little bit of an unstructured way to help you then refocus, you know? And I think that's, that's something that's very important for folks to do is that it can't always be microscopic, scientific, go focus on every single thing that you do like this, this meandering is not a bad thing right sure like anything you should set a constraint and a boundary around it as as you have but i think it's a part of the process sometimes it's just to sort of immerse yourself in some things and go all right i'll try this and see what i, I learn from it but not to as you say like go into three years of fish yeah. uh <laughs> <laughs> which would be great fun too
0: well maybe that'll be later a bit further on <laughs> but at the <laughs> moment i still need some kind of Maybe that'll be in the five years' time. But yeah, it's just the curiosity because you just don't get it when you're caught up in life. We don't allow ourselves the ability to just go out and try something. Some people are great at it. Some people don't. And it depends. And I think the other one is there's this whole thing about, and this was back to the critical childhood, was perfectionism. Like, oh my God, it's got to be perfect. And you're like, no, actually, I'm okay with it not being perfect. In fact, I prefer it when it's not perfect anymore. It takes courage. I think that's the other thing is people just, it's easy to say, but it's it's also hard to do. And I think it's just about having a bit of faith in yourself to go, what's the worst
1: that could happen? Right. Well, best to last, probably for a marketer, partnerships. I'm sure you spend your whole life building them, creating them, leveraging them, because that feels a little unique in a way. It's not something I often hear people say. So Tell us a little bit about what that concept of partnership was about for you.
0: So I I spent a a lot of time negotiating contracts and and all these kind of pieces. And there was always a structure to this is how it is. And I guess over the last kind of five, six years, it really understood that actually partnership is so much better. I always used to have this concept to say, hey, we're going to negotiate a contract, but I'm then going to put it in the drawer. If I ever have to get that contract out because I need to find a clause in it that doesn't fit. Therefore, the relationship's over. So for me, partnerships is where you'd find the added value in that relationship. And I fundamentally believe that as we move forward in in business and society, and this is where we get into this cross-section of the two, is that's where partnership is born. That's about mutual benefit. That's about shared win-wins that aren't written in a contract that do have an intangible impact that we can't do. So when in Tokyo, with the way that we looked at the games was there was tangible goals, but there were intangible goals, which you couldn't go, is that a number? No. I mean, we tried to, clearly. But there are certain things when you talk about societal impacts and things like that that we can't track or we can't see, but you've got to be striving to do that. So We know this helped build relationships with a customer or this helped build diversity and equity and inclusion within this because we've demonstrated that. But we can't say that it's changed stuff. So for me, that's where partnership becomes. I think it's going to become more and more important that we do build stronger partnerships that are built on stronger bonds than a commercial agreement, if that
1: makes sense. It does massively, you know. I love this idea of, as you say, well, let's do the contract, but if I have to take it out, the relationship has failed. I just think it's such a, a strong philosophy in, in business. One of our fun things in the studio is we don't have NDAs. We have non-NDAs that we send to people simply because like if, you know, we're we're in the business of creating things and if we're creating things well, then every, everyone feels good about it, you know, but it weighs into that idea of building great relationships and so many things are so hard to do you know i think it's harder for just one company one entity to do these big projects where you want to have big impact right it's it's impossible to have everything under a unified sort of bounded roof if you will right like you need to work with people in different demographics disciplines regions and so forth to to make these kind of huge things move forward so yeah it's fascinating to hear you hear you talk about that as well and just your philosophy behind it now, even in this solopreneur world, right? Like you're doing something really interesting now, right? You've a big interest in e s g and environmental things moving forward, too, as well now. Like this sort of feels like a another juncture, if you will, on what you're trying to focus on and go forward to. So tell us a little bit about what sort of piqued your curiosity in that space and maybe some of the things you think people might need to unlearn about that area that you've discovered as you've started to sort of wander in it so to speak
0: it's an interesting one and again it's it's built up over years of how you can realize and I think the bit for me is and still I think businesses struggle with it is where you've got this kind of CSR budget and then you've got a marketing budget and you've got these two kind of different things and I know there's all this negativity about ESG and the, the what that is but essentially, the two aren't separate. It's about how do you put these together? Because you can still drive commercial impact, consumer engagement, but also have a positive impact rather than a negative one. And I think if businesses don't start to really fundamentally integrate the two, then it's just going to implode. As a world, we're just going to struggle. And I think the power comes from some of these bigger places. So more recently, again, I'm starting to connect all these pieces where, you know, you can have, for example, in sport, you can have a brand and a rights holder. How do you put together these areas of ESG, again, outside of the commercial relationship, but you fundamentally build on the the strengths of each other to have a greater societal impact. So therefore, you're just trying to drive that faster and quicker together, which adds more value. So, as I've kind of gone into it, it's it's just been an area that I felt, you know, I mean, I'm on an advisory board for British Swimming about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that for me is like, everyone's like, well, why are you on it? Because, you know, I don't tick many of those D&I boxes. So actually, it is about the perspective you can bring to the table because that's what's going to make everyone better. So again, I think all of these elements need everyone to collectively move better. But I think for business, we need to strive to show the value that it can provide and create for the business.
1: And it's funny you mentioned this. I'd love to say I planned this, but almost by serendipity, our previous show to your show was with Adrian Cockcroft, who was the head of cloud computing at Netflix, and then more recently at AWS, where he ran uh, sustainability for Amazon, Right, starting to introduce this idea of How do they start to track their carbon credits, you know, and the fascinating part that he shared on that show is the mentality of Amazon seems to be very much, you know, they put sensors on the cars so they know exactly how much carbons they burn or they go here, but they haven't got the marketing piece down. It's really fascinating for you to describe it as it's sort of your corporate responsibility plus your ability to tell the story around that, you know, is. It's fascinating, it's one of the frustrations I think Adrian also shared was this idea of how do you help people? Like technically it's hard to understand what's happening, but to tell the story is a huge part of it too as well. So it's fascinating to hear you share that sort of unprompted, if you will. I know you don't even know that show, probably haven't even launched it yet. In fact, it'll, it'll come out tomorrow. But it's just fascinating to hear you sort of share that and, and getting to that conclusion from your own experiences. is just really interesting
0: and that's the thing when you look at consumers and especially when we talk about the next generations they are fundamentally going to require this so if you want to engage your consumers to buy your products if you don't have that down you're not going to have any consumers and woe betide any brand that kind of goes oh it's fine it's it's a theme or it's something that's going to wash us you know go past us it's just not and i think i think we need to start to change unlearn the way that we've done this and try and change the mindset to know that they aren't separate that they should be fundamentally embedded even all the way from your distribution your supply chains all the way through and that's what i think is great to explore and i think we need to do more of that and and that's kind of where i found that i'm heading in that direction
1: Ray, right. well that's literally the question i wanted to ask you to close is then looking ahead like what are you know, you're obviously exploring this space. You're putting yourself both with this swimming groups and societies and startups that you're trying to help. What What are you most excited about now as you look ahead?
0: Definitely, I think I'm still going to find that one. I've still got a role where I can have that big, sizable impact, where I can drive the transformation and that kind of stuff. But at the moment, the amount of learning that I've done in the last year is incredible. I still sometimes kick myself and kind of go, wow. In the last year and a half, I have learned more than probably in the previous 10 years. That scares me at times. I'm also like, this is incredible. I still have some brain cells I can fill. So I think it's where does that, and I think that's the exciting piece is I don't know where it's going to go. I know that it's going to work out, but I know that I've got the structure and the strategy to allow me to get there. And everyone that I work with and the people like the studio and stuff like that is going to create that kind of... It's just beautiful. When you get those people together, you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to. And I still think there's something big, big that's going to come up this year. And I'm excited for
1: 2024, to be honest. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's always fascinating to have another dyslexic person on because I, I, it's always great telling the world you can do it. Uh, anyone else out there with dyslexia, it can be done. But just to hear your own personal story, right? I love the idea of building these frameworks, as you say, to help you guide some of these big transitions that you've made in your own life, from an agency to corporate, to being solopreneur now and helping businesses all over the world. You know, I think it really encourages people that you can do it, that just with a little bit of structure and thinking and, and plotting out what matters to you can have a huge impact in helping you get started. So Again, excited to see uh, all the work you're going to continue to do. I'm looking forward to doing more in the studio together. And thank you very much, James, for coming and sharing uh, your story with us.
0: Always a pleasure. Great to see you. And I will see you soon.
1: Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show. But I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years. And who knows how many beyond that? So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital, and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign and I'd be honoured if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself.